0: Talkzone.com. Now, Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports featuring the coach, John Cone and the big dog, Joe Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com.
1: This is Two Guys and a Mic, TalkZone.com. Jordan Burnfield back in the studio again today. If you didn't like me yesterday, welcome. Too bad you got me again this morning, and I'm also joined by Justin Weiner as we are prepared for what should be a very interesting show. (laughs) Justin, last night, if you were a Chicago sports fan, you had to watch the Bulls go out and get pantsed by the Miami Heat. You watched Cristobal Huey basically settle the goalie discussion for all intents and purposes as the Hawks head into the playoffs. And then just as a little cherry on top, My Syracuse Orange ousted in the NCAA tournament by the class of the Horizon League, the Butler Bulldogs.
0: Well, Jordan, as I was telling you before, I was expecting that my neck would cramp up from looking at three different computer screens, a TV screen, watching all these different games. Instead, as a Chicagoan, I did not want to watch either the Bulls or the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks, like you said, obviously they have decided who is the playoff goalie as they brought Huey back in in the third period. And no one knew. John Weideman and Troy Murray
1: didn't even know on the broadcast. We had to have oh, someone God. call in. That's You know what? It's last night bringing Huey back into the game. He allowed seven goals on 27 shots. It was almost to me like when you have that pitcher that's getting the crap beat out of him, and he's given up five runs in like two innings, and the manager's kind of looking down at the pen going, Do I want to use this guy? You know what? He's already getting creamed. Just let him get blasted. I'm leaving him in as long as I possibly can. It's like the pitcher standing on the mound going, come on, take me out. I'm (laughs) pitching horrendous. It was like one of those Jason Marquis starts when he was pitching for St. Louis and he'd give up a 13 spot in five innings. Last night, Joe Quenville was almost like, you know what? I've already decided on my goalie for the playoffs. So why don't we see how many Cristobal Huey, or as he calls himself in Hawks commercials, Chris Hewitt, can give (laughs) up this season. 888-463-6748 is the phone number. 888-GO-FOR-IT if you want to get in touch with us as well. But the Hawks, with a miserable performance last night, they entered the game against Columbus at 4-0-1, and... Columbus has the second least points in the Western Conference. This is not a team that you should be blown out by. Certainly not with the goaltender that at the beginning of the season was supposed to be your number 1 guy. He doesn't even look like he deserves to be in the National Hockey League right now after that performance, eight 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 four six three sixty seven forty eight. The Bulls, equally awful last night. They were trying to court Dwayne Wade, and what did they do? They went out and lost by 29, and at one point down in the mid-30s, this was an awful performance. Vinny Del Negro, Justin, saying after the game that they really didn't do anything right, and, and it showed. They were awful.
0: Well, they're supposed to be courting Dwayne Wade. They're supposed to be trying to get this premier free agent to come in in the off season and revive a Bulls team that you could say that last year was a maybe the start of a revolution. You know, taking the Celtics to seven games, but this was no way. This was no showing of okay, this is what Chicago can do. This was miserable. They were bad in every facet of the game. There was 20 points in the paint in the first quarter.
1: It was disgusting. No defense. Disgusting.
0: Absolutely no defense.
1: Yeah, it was absolutely an awful performance out of the Bulls last night. Like you mentioned, 20 points in the paint. Not only that, but hopefully Dwayne Wade, listen, he knows the city of Chicago. He knows the type of food... The, the city skyline, he knows all the other things. Hopefully he enjoyed the locker room at the United Center because certainly he could not have enjoyed the play of the Bulls. 888-463-6748 if you want to talk about that. And then last night, listen, as an SU fan, I feel today like there's another hole that's been burned into my heart with a just a pitiful performance out of the orange, but it's a great story in the NCAA tournament that the fifth-seeded Butler Bulldogs, a team out of the Horizon League, a league which I, I frankly do have a soft spot for because I covered the league all season, it's a great story for them. They deserve to be in the Elite Eight, certainly more than Syracuse did. Second number 1 seed falling last night. Besides that game, some great games last night. Xavier and Kansas State, an absolute classic, with Kansas State winning a double overtime, 101-96, to Cornell within 6 points in the final 8 minutes against uh, against Kentucky rather and then of course Kentucky kind of blew them out at the end winning by 17 and also West Virginia with the 13 point victory over Washington in the Syracuse region which ironically nobody was at that first game last night because all the people in Syracuse were out watching uh, Rick Jackson Fumble basketballs <laughs> out of bounds at will in the first half of that game, but eight 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 four six three sixty seven forty eight. Justin, I think we should start with this NCAA tournament and delve into it more because it was such an amazing Sweet Sixteen round last night. Of course, the rest of that finishing up tonight, but beginning with what would turned out to be the best game. This Xavier against Kansas State game, I had said on the show yesterday that I thought that the best game of the night was going to be the Cornell Kentucky game, but Xavier and Kansas State is was like I said an instant classic, a fantastic game to watch.
0: Well, the local boy Jacob Pullen comes up big. You know, went to Proviso East was a standout there. Goes to Kansas State, scores 28 points, including two huge threes down the stretch, huge threes with 32 seconds left in the second overtime. To basically put the Cats up for good. And this game was all it lived up to be. You knew Xavier was going to p- give the Cats some some runs down the stretch. And Jordan Crawford, and I, I said this to you before we got on the air, that if I have to hear any more announcers talk about Indiana products that transferred away and excelled at another school, I'm going to basically shoot a duck out of the air. But uh, <laughs> Jordan Crawford comes up big for Xavier, scores 32 points. But that game... And it added to the, you know, adding to the, the allure of the game was the fact that Gus Johnson was on the
1: call. Gus Johnson (laughs) nearly lost a lung last night. I was wondering if that game had gone to triple overtime, whether his head would have exploded, (laughs) and Len Elmore would have been calling the rest of that game. And it's just Crawford, oh, every three seconds. Listen, and I said this to you before we got on the air. I love Gus in a game like that. But when Butler was taking down my orange, I wanted to just, I, I wanted to mute the TV. I couldn't take Gus going nuts on Willie Beasley's three that bounced off the heel of the rim, basically hit the roof of the Excel Solutions Center, whatever the hell they call that place, and fell back into the net, which was the ceiling basket for Butler last night. But Kansas State to me is that, you know. Xavier is a great program that does not get a lot of attention because of the Route of the Atlantic 10. The 810 has gotten a little more attention over the last few years, but certainly when you look at the successes that Xavier has had, they've been to the Elite 8. They've been, or they've actually been to the Elite 8 twice in the last six years and been to the Sweet 16 twice. So this is a program that continually excels in the NCAA tournament. You look at a guy like Crawford, who was 13 of 29 from the field last night, had 32 points, and then Terrell Holloway, who had 26 and 6 of 14 shooting. The amazing thing to me, Justin, was Kansas State. Besides the fact that Pullen was was draining these big threes, they were able to kind of run an offense. Xavier in the final five minutes of regulation and then in overtime was literally coming down the floor stepping inside half court and bombing threes from wherever they were, and we're just draining them from all over the court.
0: Well, keep in mind, you're also in Salt Lake City, so you're in the second overtime, and you're 4,000 feet above sea level, so you're dead. And uh, listening to the the broadcast on my way home from WGN last night and also seeing the highlights, they were walking up the court. They were bringing the ball up the court, and they were walking because they were so tired, and it was just a superb display of athleticism down the stretch, for guys like Jacob Pullen to pull up and nail those threes, guys like Terrell Holloway to just go unconscious, nail shots from just about every angle, and then of course Jordan Crawford. But this game lived up to everything that we thought it would.
1: Yeah, I mean that you look at you look at Kansas State's box score. You look at a college basketball box score. You are not often going to find three players that had more than twenty points. But Jacob Pullen had twenty eight. Dennis Clemente had 25, and Kelly last night, Curtis Kelly, had 21. And that just shows the type of game that it was. Guys raining shots from all over the floor. It was a fantastic game. If you want to talk about it here on Two Guys and a Mic, 888-463-6748. Jordan Burnfield, Justin Weiner with you in for the coach and the dog. Looking at the other games last night, I guess we can talk about Butler and Syracuse. That was the other game in the in the uh West region. I thought that Butler. Played a great game last night for them. They did what they could do. They slowed the tempo. You knew that going into this game that Syracuse is a team that the reason why they were 30-5 and this year is because they had one of the best transitional games in college basketball. They have superior athleticism. The way they're going to beat you is to get out and transition and run and score baskets in transition. They turned the ball over a lot early, allowing Butler to dictate the tempo of this game. And Butler... Only shot 40% in this game. Syracuse actually finished shooting better based on their second half run. But Butler took Syracuse's tempo away, and they continually forced Orange turnovers. 18 SU turnovers to just 7 for Butler. That was the difference in the game. Well,
0: the story going into the game in terms of the defensive side was that the 2-3 zone of Syracuse was going to stop Butler's ability to get the ball down low to Gordon Hayward and Matt Howard. However, it was actually, conversely, it was the man-to-man, pesky defense from Butler that caused turnovers for Syracuse and that played and slowed down the transition game of Syracuse. I also happen to think, and, and you obviously are the expert being a Syracuse fan, that not having Anawaku was a big factor in this game. It,
1: it was, and it didn't hurt them in the first two rounds. Obviously, no. they crushed Vermont. They didn't need a center against Vermont. They were clearly going to win that game. Against Gonzaga, they torched Gonzaga, and it was apparent that even though Robert Sakurai is a seven-foot center who is going to be a tough guy to face, that didn't matter because they let Sakurai have some points and torched Gonzaga without a problem. Last night, though, you're right. It was the first game in which they really missed Orenze Onuaku. and to me, when you watch the way Onwaku played or has played this season... What he does well is he is able to take the pressure off of Rick Jackson. He was a guy who would help in double teams in the post, would help get onto a center, would help in terms of keeping centers away from the basket. The way to beat the Syracuse 2-3 zone, as prolific as it was over the course of this season, is you're right, to is to keep those big guys out of the paint. Rick Jackson last night had the worst game he's had in a Syracuse uniform in his career. He was awful. And he couldn't hold on to the basketball. And furthermore, he was allowing Matt Howard, who's six foot eight and burly, but not maybe quite the athlete that would have been able to get by an Onowaku and a Jackson kind of dictate things a little bit in the paint. Now, Matt Howard, in saying that, only finished with nine points and seven rebounds. But late in the game, he was able to get a couple of turnaround jump shots or turnaround layups in the lane that he probably doesn't get. You're right. I, I think that not having Onawaku in there was a huge factor. But to me, like you said, defensively, Syracuse was was just not they, – they, they were inferior to Butler defensively last night. Butler was able to slow the pace down. And when Butler went up by ten points – I said to a bunch of people watching that game last night, you don't want to fall behind a Butler by double digits because of how slow they play. It feels like a lot more, and it took Syracuse up until about the 8-minute mark in the game to actually tie things up before things got interesting.
0: Well, And we talked about this as well. If you would have told Brad Stevens, the coach of Butler, that they were going to shoot 6 of 24 from three-point land, he would have said probably, okay, we're going home tonight. Shelvin Mack the player that no one really thinks about for Butler. You think of Gordon Hayward and Matt Howard as their top players, but Shelvin Mack is probably their best player. One for ten from behind the arc.
1: Shelvin Mack is their best shooter. He did not shoot the ball well from three. No. If if Butler had shot well last night, Shelvin Mack had a game earlier in this tournament in which he was seven of nine from the three-point line. I think that was their first-round game. But to me, it, when you when you look at Shelvin Mack going 1-for-10 from 3. If he had been able to go 4-for-10, Butler probably blows Syracuse out. Furthermore, you've got... You know, guys like Gordon Hayward, who was 4-7 for seven from the field. If he had had more touches, that probably would have made a difference. Syracuse, defensively in the second half, was able to clamp things down a little bit. But Sheldon Mack going 5-19 for 19 from the field and Butler still winning the game shows you how poorly Syracuse played. Wes Johnson, 6 attempts from the field with 17 points and 9 rebounds. It looks good in the stat sheet. He did not show up in the first half. Andy Routens had two field goal attempts in the first half. And it came back to, as a Syracuse fan, what... They have done poorly over the last few years. Jim Bayheim teams revert to this undisciplined, sloppy style of basketball where they all look like they're running around the floor with no direction. And why Syracuse was great this season was because they were disciplined, was because they weren't sloppy, was because they weren't throwing the ball away. And last night, it was as if they had reverted back to everything that While I was in school, what they were doing and why they went to the NIT twice never won an NCAA tournament game. Well,
0: you speak of discipline, and you look down the stretch in the second half. In the last five
1: minutes, they went
0: nearly four and a half minutes without scoring a basket. There was no discipline down the stretch. They were turning the ball over, and it was almost like uh, the movie Replacements with Clifford Franklin not being able to catch <laughs> the ball. Yeah, It was miserable to watch this team because, frankly, I had them in my Final Four. Now, I'm, I'm not even... Worried about my bracket at this point. Oh, my bracket, my bracket's, completely, my brackets busted, completely done, completely busted. And I just thought that Syracuse, like you said, played probably one of their worst games of the season. It
1: was their worst game of the year. And eight 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 four six three sixty seven forty eight. Two guys in the mic with you here on the talkzone.com dot uh, com. West Virginia last night, sixty nine to fifty six over Washington. I actually thought that Washington would perform better, but. Huggins, you know, every year this guy's this guy's a machine. His teams always perform well. West Virginia and, and and Huggins said this after the game last night. Justin, they are so much better defensively now than they were probably three or four weeks ago. West Virginia, this entire tournament has been able to clamp down defensively, and really in the Big East tournament, which they won, they they are a classic team or classic case of a team that has made enormous improvements over the course of the season, and it shows what a good coach Bob Huggins is to see the improvements this team has made. They hold Washington to 56 points last night. They win it by the score 69-56. to They hold Washington to 39% from the field, 27% from three. And, I mean, that that's one of the biggest reasons why the Mountaineers not only are going to the Elite Eight, but may now be that team that could win the national championship.
0: They certainly have every... And it makes me sick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you look at the Big East teams, there were eight coming in, the most of any conference, and now there's only one, West Virginia. And, of course, it's going to make you sick as a Syracuse fan. But they did an unbelievable job of shutting down Quincy Pondexter. Yes. Unbelievable job. And you have Deshaun Butler for the Mountaineers, who gets hurt. He hurts his right hand. And you already have Brian out. And yet they were still able to play spectacular defense shut down defense, especially in the second half, and close out this game. You know, you had two Cinderellas, per se, that were supposedly going to make their way through and continue to dance after midnight, but to take a line from Gus Johnson, the slipper didn't fit, yeah. and Washington just didn't play well enough down the stretch.
1: You know what? I also thought, and I mentioned this on the show yesterday, I thought that Washington was better. They're didn't. they they're not really a Cinderella to me. They're an under-seeded team because they're the Pac-10 champion and the Pac-10 stunk this year. But Washington is sort of like, Lorenzo Romar has had teams in the Sweet 16 before. Washington has been a good team before. It just circumstantially this year the Pac-10 was bad, so they, may, they were maybe a little bit underseated. I also thought yesterday that Cornell may have been a little bit underseated, but it's, it's clear though that Kentucky right now is probably the scariest team to face in the NCAA tournament. If West Virginia can play the defense that they did, they might be able to take out a team like Kentucky. That's why they might be that dark horse team. But Kentucky showed last night why they are where they are 62 to 45 a victory over the Cornell Big Red last night in Syracuse where it was really a home game for the Big Red as it's only an hour from the Syracuse campus but you had eight seniors on this Cornell club I was rooting so hard for Cornell they get off to a 10-1 lead and then after that it just kind of slips away from them DeMarcus Cousins Listen, John Wall had his 8 and 8 and 7, but DeMarcus Cousins is, is a beast. I mean, the 16 points he had when Cornell got off to that big run, Kentucky started feeding Cousins underneath, and that's when Kentucky started to flex the muscles.
0: Oh, it was, it was really fun to watch the NBA-caliber talent for Kentucky because you look at John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins, both freshmen, both can play at that level. It's just, it is very fun to watch. And the Cornell team, the biggest problem was their three-point shooting. They're the number one team coming into the game in three-point shooting in the country. Yep. And they shoot 23, 24% yep. from from Triple City. It was just, it was bad. And I, I was feeling the Cornell Cinderella story because of the way they played in the first two games, because of the way that they shot the ball and their disciplined game. But Kentucky just overmatched them with the the size, and also the athleticism. There was no comparison in terms of athleticism.
1: I actually thought last night that Cornell might be a team that could take out Kentucky, as crazy as it sounds. So did I. Because Cornell is such a great three-point shooting team, and because of how bad a three-point shooting team Kentucky is. They were two for 16 from three last night, and that's not really an aberration. Kentucky is not a good three-point shooting team by any standard, and so I thought last night if Cornell had gone out and been able to hit the threes and been able to shoot the ball the way they did in the first two rounds, where they... Crushed their first two opponents in Temple and Wisconsin. I thought that you know, thinking about it that way, that maybe, you know, trading threes for twos, Cornell might be able to pull off that upset, but Kentucky is just so tough. And they're probably cheating their butts off because that's what Chad <laughs> Calipari does. But if they win the title this year, you can pull the banner down in 10 years and no one's going to care. They're still going to remember the title.
0: It pains me to see Calipari on his way to possibly another national title. Isn't
1: he slick, though? Isn't he just he a is. slick talker? I mean, regardless of the fact that he's probably got violations up the you-know-what for for this team this year and why they were able to acquire so many NBA players on the same team. But this guy... <laughs> Is just he's so slick. It's almost like he could be robbing me, and I'd still be just listening to him talk. And I'd be saying, you know what, you're right, John. You are such a slick guy. And I, by the by, the end of the conversation, my house would be bare as he's taken everything out of it.
0: And I would be okay with it.
1: I, I would be. I'd be like, you know what, John wanted to do. That it was today. A, you know
0: what that was a great robbery. That was a great sale. I think that was fantastic. Yeah. Because he does. Here, here's the thing. Bobby Knight made a point that a guy that has. NCAA violations at his prior two schools should not be a coach anymore. And that's what Calipari is, but yet he still brings wins because of reasons that we don't necessarily know. Obviously, violations is what we're
1: assuming. Yeah, well, he is a great coach, too. Great coach. Yeah,
0: fantastic coach, but I got to be honest, it it's not it's not good to have a guy like that constantly winning when you know that in his past he has violations
1: yeah i we're going to take our first time out here on two guys and a mic but real quickly of the games coming up tomorrow or tonight rather tennessee ohio state who do you like
0: i like i like evan turner big time he has such a great supporting class supporting class or cast uh, david lighty and eric diebler can just shoot the rock
1: And and Lauderdale, too, tough underneath. I I would agree, Ohio State. I like Northern Iowa to beat Michigan State minus Kalen Lucas. I like like St. Mary's over Baylor tonight. And I also like Duke over Purdue.
0: I like the Duke over Purdue, but I'm also slightly biased towards one of my good friends, John Shire. But I, I think that Duke just has too much for Purdue to handle. In terms of the Michigan State, Northern Iowa, I love the story of Northern Iowa, but you look at Corey Lucius fresh off a buzzer beater over, over Maryland. He's going to be the guy that has to take over the ball handling capabilities. No Kalen
1: Lucas. No, no K- Kalen Lucas. Yes.
0: But still, you look at Tom Izzo and his record and his ability to get his teams ready. Can't bet against Izzo. Y- you can. not But you can bet against no Kalen Lucas. True. Very, very much true. So I'm actually, I'm taking Ohio State. I like Michigan State. St. Mary's. And Baylor, that scares me. I, I, I like your pick of St. Mary's. Omar Lace, Samhan. Lace Darius Dunn is like one him, heck of yeah. a player.
1: He is good. He is, he very is good. one
0: heck of a player. But And I, they're
1: a great story, too. After all the things that happened to them early in the decade with mm-hmm. the Patrick Denehy and Carlton Dotson situation with the murder and Dave Bliss and all the controversy that went on over there, when you think about now what Scott Drew has been able to do, taking that team from the depths of hell, really, Uh, literally and figuratively, and bringing that team out to where they are now. It's a fantastic story. Uh, I would be happy to see Baylor win, but I love St. Mary's. I love Omar Samhan. I love a Matthew Deliadova. Love that team. (laughs) Love them. And at least for the rest of this tournament, give me some upsets. I hope every one seed loses except Duke, because I'm a bitter one seed fan. Thank you very much. 888-463-6748. 888-GO-FOR-IT. This is Two Guys in the Mic. TalkZone.com. Stay with us. Give us a call. Let's talk tournament, folks. Or we can talk about Huey. You want to do that? Guys in the mic, TalkZone.com. Jordan Burnfield, Justin Weiner filling in for the coach and the dog. NCAA Tournament Sweet 16 continuing. I want all upsets the rest of the way. No one seeds. Get them out. If my team can't win, I don't want your team to win. That's what I say. Give me Omar Samhan. Give me Ali Farouk Namesh. Give me I don't want Tennessee. Don't no. want Bruce Pearl. That's where it ends. I'll take Evan Turner. And then uh I, you know what what? About I, I do Brian like Zubek. Duke. What I, about Brian Zubek? Yeah, I do like Duke. I've always liked Duke. That is the one team that a lot of people hate that I like. And it and it really has nothing to do with John Shire. This I honestly and I like John Shire. I have nothing against John Shire. Nice kid. I liked Duke ever since they beat Arkansas. And the national championship, in, like what was it, '93? I think. Yeah. I remember as a little kid watching that game, staying up late to watch that game, and to watch Duke win. And I think that was Grant Hill, Duke, and and, the, and that era of Duke. And if, ever since then, I always liked Duke, and so they've kind of been my team when my team is out. You know, uh, whether if Syracuse or uh, Illinois, growing up, Duke was always my other team. So I'd be happy to see Coach Krasuski and the boys. Come up with a with another national title because he he's you can't really bet against Mike Shishovsky. He's just a great guy.
0: You know they have an iPhone app for him now. Do they really? The Coach K app.
1: Does it give you life lessons? Do you like click on the iPhone app and it'll be like you are a great person. You should live your day like every day is your last. This Try is how you win today.
0: 900 games coaching college basketball.
1: Yes, I'm I'm gonna look this up right now. The uh, Coach K app. I just want to know what it is like. Are there are there pictures of Duke practices where like John Shire and it's Brian listed. Zuback and Nolan Zub and Nolan Smith are running three man weave? It is listed
0: as a game. Um, let's see here. Utilizes multi touch controls that immerse a player into exciting series of races against multiple uh, AI opponents. Let's see. The game includes three levels of competitions with stops in New York City, China, Durham, North Carolina, and home to Coach K's Blue Devils coaching tips how much does this app cost this app is 299 you on you the,
1: have to pay for this you have
0: to pay for
1: it i have <laughs> yeah. to pay for this app
0: they're they're shooting uh let's see they're um uh, there's obstacle courses this,
1: this... trend setting graphics trend setting graphics players
0: also have the ability to customize their avatars yeah, I think I'm done. No, no coach.
1: No, no coach K app for me. Eight 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 four six three sixty seven forty eight. We've talked a bunch of college buckets. We would love for you to join us in the discussion. I want to transition though for those of you who are from the Chicago area, and let's face it, that's where most of our listeners are from, except for our few Antarctic listeners that are always checking in, and we appreciate you listening down North in North Pole listeners as well. Our North, we are big in the North Pole, very big in the North Pole, and uh, I know Santa listens. <laughs> to uh, a couple of Jews in studio. Hanukkah area. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 888-463-6748. The Blackhawks last night were so god-awful in every respect of the game. Let's just be honest. You lose 8-3. to Cristobal Huey gives up seven goals on 27 shots. It almost looked like I was watching a high school game in which they put that little that guy who... Has tried really hard, but clearly isn't qualified for the high school team. And they were just going to let him play because they wanted to be nice. And the coach said, guys, don't say anything to him, even if he gives up 15 goals. He's earned this ability to play. Cristobal Huey, what the hell is he doing last night? Going out behind the net to play the puck twice, allowing two goals in the third period. Why is it that it seems like every time Huey plays, to get himself settled, he has to give up a goal in the first 32 seconds? I mean, what is the deal with this guy? Listen, if nothing else, we know now that Anti Niemi is the playoff goalie because Joe Quenville is not dumb enough to have this guy play in the playoffs.
0: No, and how about this? 74 games between goals for the Blue Jackets' Mike's, Mike Commodore before he scored 32 seconds into the game on, uh, or I should say last night. It was, it was bad. Huey you worked the game last night. I worked the game last what night. What did you, Troy must have been going nuts, right? Troy Murray. It was. It was. It was pretty bad. It was to the point where they really couldn't analyze the game aside from "There's another shot in a goal." There's another shot in the goal. Eight-one, and listening to Pat Foley and Eddie Olczyk on the TV side was equally as humorous. Because Huey made bad play after bad play after bad play. And as good of a guy as Cristobal Huey is... He is a nice guy. He's a great guy. He always is there for interviews after the game, even last night. But his confidence is shot. And not only that, but his skill level has dropped significantly. Brent Seabrook laid down in front of a shot from the Blue yeah, Jackets last that. night. And the only place that they can shoot is over Huey's right shoulder.
1: That was stroman he goes, on that goal, it, right? It was
0: Strallman, yes. Yeah. And the only place that he can shoot, is top shelf left. Huey goes low, tries to deke him or something. I don't know what he was trying to do, but he did not stop it, and it looked miserable.
1: Huey always goes down. I mean, you can beat Huey high. The book on Huey has been that you could beat him high all the time. And and thinking about this game from the bigger picture, and if you have thoughts on this, 888-463-6748, go for it the phone number, it makes me realize why the Blackhawks fired Dale Talon. And Dale Talon seems like a nice guy, and I have nothing against Dale Talon, but to sign Cristobal Huey to a five-year, $25 million contract, when he really had only had one half of a year for Washington, was decent for a half a year with Montreal, had kind of bounced around. This is a 34-year-old goaltender who's never really had a significant shot at being a number one goaltender in the NHL. We're seeing why. He's not very good. It was a terrible signing. You can sugarcoat it any way you want, Hawks fans. You can defend Dell Talon all you want. There's no doubt in my mind, if when you look at the management of the Blackhawks now, that they evaluated this team going into the season, saw what they had in Cristobal Huey, and said, how can we keep this general manager who paid this bad goalie that much money? Right? And how is it? That Dale Talon could have justified giving this much money to Cristobal Huey. Because the unfortunate thing about this season, Justin, is that they have the team. They have a team of forwards and defensemen that could win a Stanley Cup if they had a better, better goaltender. And now, I look at this team as a first round out. I hate to say that. That's what they look like to me. I'm not saying that they're going to lose in the first round. But if Detroit ends up being the eighth seed in the Western Conference, I am scared as a Blackhawks fan, that this team is going down in the first round. There have been three goaltenders all time that were rookies that have won the Stanley Cup. And I know that Cam Moore did it in 2006, but I'm not so sure Antti Niemi can do that in 2010.
0: Well, to play devil's advocate, if I can, it hasn't been all on the goaltending. The defense has been pretty bad in the last few games. since Terrible. Since the Olympic break, this team has not played
1: well. No, I mean, listen, the defense... The defense has been inexcusable in a lot of games since the since the Olympic break. You're absolutely right. Brian Campbell being decapitated by Ovechkin was a bad loss for us. The fact that Brian Campbell is now out for the season and they're not going to have him, especially on the power play, which has struggled over the last few weeks... That hurts, and he is a good defenseman. No matter what people say, a lot of people don't give him the credit because he gets paid a lot of money. He is a good defenseman in his own zone. Maybe he's not Duncan Keith, but he is a good defenseman. Kim Janssen being hurt, I think, does hurt them a little bit. Obviously, having Seabrook out for a few games after that cheap shot by Wisniewski hurts. Okay, and, and and certainly when you have Nick Boynton and and Jordan Hendry and Brent Sopel replacing those guys, they're just not as they're not as good of players. I mean, you. It's the bottom line. Defensively they've not been that good. But but anti Niemi and Crystal Ball Huey have been shaky all season. Hue or Niemi was good at the early point in the season and and certainly has been a little shakier lately. And it's nothing on him last night, but I mean, Joel Quenville gives Huey this opportunity last night after Niemi pitched a shutout in their biggest game of the year against the Coyotes and said, listen, we're going to try to get your confidence up going into the playoffs. And he lays this egg, and it just brings me back to the entire point of this team, if they had a better goalie, could easily do it this year. And with the salary cap being what it is and the fact that it's going to come down next year, this is their chance to win the Cup as constructed. And they, I don't see how any Hawk fan could be confident in them now that now that they've seen what they've seen out of the goaltending this year. Well, for Huey last night,
0: Jordan, it had to be Carpe Diem. It had to be go in there, seize this opportunity, seize the day, and come out with a win. Show the city of Chicago, show my teammates that you can have confidence in me. He did the exact opposite. He was well, 32 seconds in, he had a goal scored on him.
1: It he was, was not horrendous. good,
0: absolutely horrendous. And you look at this team; they are four, four, and two in their last ten. Detroit eight one and one in their last ten. If you have to face Detroit in that first round, I have a very good feeling. And, and as as bad as it is, because I want this Hawks team to go and fight for Lord Stanley's Cup, they could they could lose in four games to, to Detroit. I agree.
1: Listen, Detroit all season, at least in the early part of the season, when Detroit's players were all hurt, I watched that Detroit team and I said, well, this this, this era is over. But they were Detroit hurt. was not playing well. It's 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 just that they were hurt. I mean, listen: is Jimmy Howard a great goalie? No. Is Chris Osgood a great goalie? No. Could the Hawks score a lot of goals on those goalies? Yes. But Pavel Datsuk is back. Franzin is back. On I mean, that line: a Kronwall is back. Lidstrom is still Lidstrom. I mean, they they are loaded. Zetterberg. <laughs> <Does that work? laughs> I mean, what are we going to do against this team? Listen, I they would be the scariest eight seed in the history of hockey. I to play them in the first round is not a good situation for the Blackhawks. The only thing you can hope right now, if you're a Hawks fan, is either they get the one seed and Detroit continues to play hot, and they get the seventh seed or the sixth seed, and Nashville and some of these other teams at the bottom fall down to the eighth seed, mm-hmm. or you have to hope that the Blackhawks skitter a little bit and finish in the second seed so that they don't have to face, as long as they don't have to face Detroit in the first round, because after how enormously exciting and fun this Blackhawks season has been for the most part. It would be awful for it to end in the first round of the Western Conference playoffs with some kind of catastrophic series end against Detroit.
0: It would go down in Chicago history as failures such as the 2003 Chicago Cubs. As no. the, I'm sorry to bring that up. I know.
1: On a day when Syracuse loses, I'm going to be talking about the 3 Cubs. Let's bring the up Bears. the 8 Cubs, the Bears. In
0: 06, where Ugh. they get to the Super Bowl, but... That was about it. But
1: Rex Grossman decided to be Rex Grossman in the Super Bowl. Exactly,
0: and it would be a failure. I I don't think there's any way to get around that word, that if they lose in the first round, it would be a failure. And right now, they're sitting in second. San Jose won last night. They have 100 points. The Hawks have 99. And then you look at Detroit. They have 87, but they are climbing. And you're going to look to that last game on April 11th, when they face Detroit. That's the last game of the regular
1: season for Why do we always teams. have to finish the season against them? You know what? In <laughs> Why? Some, <laughs> I, I Honestly, to, can we I just stop playing Detroit question. on the last day of the season? But it, it's
0: almost like a playoff tune-up, if you will, because if you have to play them, God forbid you have to play them in the first round, you get that last game, you see what they have, let's say you beat them up, well, then they're going to come back firing in that, in that first game, but... I, I listened to Jesse Rogers, uh, this morning, I should say yesterday morning on ESPN 1000, and he said, there are very few teams in the NHL that can hang with the Hawks during seven, during a seven game series. The goaltending has to just be good enough. It doesn't have to be great. Right. Antony Emmy pitching a shutout, stopping 28 shots from Phoenix, that was spectacular. But Antony Emmy only has to really stop one or two goals. Or I could give up, I should say, one or two goals, and that could be good enough for the Hawks. It could to win. be,
1: but here's the thing. And and I I want people's thoughts on this. 888-463-6748. One of the biggest problems is you're right, okay? Should should the Hawks go into the playoffs as is, they are obviously one of the most talented hockey teams. No one can really hang with them in terms of puck possession other than maybe Detroit. In terms of the way they are able to possess the puck in their and the offensive zone, the amount of good forwards and defensemen they have on offense to score a lot of goals. You're right. But one of the things that we see in sports, whether it's hockey, whether it's baseball, whether it's basketball, whether it's football, is that the most dangerous teams going into the playoffs are the teams that are playing well in the final month, in the final week, in the final few games heading in. And while the Blackhawks are a one or a two seed in the Western Conference, that's a product of how they played earlier in the year. Like you said, they're 4-4-2 and in their last ten games. They're not playing well by any standard. And when you go into the playoffs, listen, there's still a week or two to rectify this. But if you go into the playoffs skidding around and stumbling in, those are the teams that go out early. Obviously, it could be the case that because the Blackhawks are a one or a two seed, if they go into the playoffs playing poorly, they could turn the light switch back on and play great. In Chicago we saw that from the 05 White Sox who you know skittered into the playoffs and then went 11 and 1 and won the World Series in 05. Okay, fine. But you don't want to be that team that is playing its worst hockey of the year going into the postseason, especially if you have to face Detroit in the first round. There is a certain level of confidence that is had by a team that goes into the playoffs playing their best. And the Hawks players have said repeatedly that they want to be playing their best hockey going into the into the playoffs. And they know what they have to do. But do it already. Because if you don't, you're going out. You're not going to just turn it on. Most teams don't. The percentages favor the teams that get hot and go into the playoffs playing well.
0: Very much so. And you look at this team. You thought yesterday, going into the last ten games, it was going to be a sprint towards the playoffs. Instead, it's almost like we have to hit the reset button and say, okay, we now have nine games left towards the playoffs. You have Columbus coming in on Sunday. You have to get a win against Columbus. That is goal number one, objective number one. If you lose to Columbus for a second straight game, you're going to start to lose confidence from your the teammates. You're going to go out there on a line, and your teammates are going to go, oh, I don't know if this guy can do what I need him to do. Or you're going to lose confidence in the goaltending. You're going to lose confidence, from the or the fans will not be as supportive. I can guarantee you that. Chicago is a very fickle city. Not, not nearly on the level as New York or Philadelphia or anything like that, but you will lose some of the support. You will hear boos in the Madhouse on Madison on Sunday yeah. if the Hawks lose to Columbus. If they give up a couple quick goals in the first period. This is a team that needs to play well down the stretch because they're a young team. If they're not riding a high, young players, and I don't care how good, how skilled they are, they can't just flip on the switch. They're not guys like Pavel Dotser. They're not guys like Hendrik Zetterberg that have been there before that say, okay, we had a hiccup here, let's let's turn it around and let's play well during the playoffs. They can't do it. Flat out, no questions asked. You have to go in on a high or else you're going to be out a quick out in the first round.
1: Yeah, 888-463-6748. It's not it right now as as a Blackhawks fan, you've got to be nervous. And the way their team the way this team is performing right now, you got to be nervous. A month or two month or two ago, you would have been feeling like they're going to be hoisting the cup and Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane are going to be smooching the cup on the ice at the United Center in June. But right now, the way this team is playing, It is not looking good for the Blackhawks and, and, you know, for all those people that have jumped on the bandwagon for this Blackhawk team. The one thing that John McDonough and Jay Blunk have said the whole time is that they have to win. And if they don't win, their window will close because this is a franchise that has made amazing strides and deserves all the credit in the world for what they've done. But they got to win. It's the bottom line. 888-463-6748. Time for us to take another break here on Two guys in the mic. When we come back, talk a little bit about that Bulls debacle last night. We'll also, get back into the NCAA tournament. Get to those topics and a little more after this. This is Two Guys in the Mic on TalkZone.com with Justin and Jordan filling in for the coach and the dog. TalkZone.com Filling in for the coach of the dog Jordan Bergfield, Justin Weiner On a Friday morning Taking you into your weekend 888-463-6748 Is the telephone number If you would like to contact our lovely show Bulls last night Lose by 29 To the Miami Heat And Justin, I'll just come right out and say it Bulls last night there are three and a half games heading into last night behind Miami for the seventh spot in the East. Toronto is two games ahead of them. The Bulls know they need this game. You listen to Vinny yesterday. You listen to Noah yesterday. You listen to any of the players that talked before the game yesterday. They knew how important this game was. So how the hell do you justify going out and getting absolutely demolished by Miami on your home floor? How do you do it? It's almost as if the Bulls have resigned themselves to the fact that following that 10-game losing streak in which they've had a bunch of injuries, in which they have not played well, it's like they're saying, you know what, it is what it is. We're done, we'll get them in free agency, the season is over. But that's the thing. We may not get anyone in free agency after the way we just
0: played last night. And I I say we, I should say the way the Bulls play last night. Going into that game, if you would have said to me yesterday that Dwayne Wade was only going to score 12 points, I would have said, holy holy cow, we're going to win that game. We're going to beat the Heat. We're going to make a run for the playoffs. Instead, Jermaine O'Neal scores 24, and the Bulls play probably the worst game or the second worst game minus the uh, wonderful loss of giving up about 30 points and, and losing early on in the season to the Nets. And they were down 31 at halftime. For Miami... That is their third largest lead in franchise history at halftime. The Bulls played uninspired. They played poor. (laughs) To say the least. Yeah, poor is putting it nicely. And as a team that wants to court free agents like Dwayne Wade, like Chris Bosh, this is not the way to play. This is not the way to say, okay, come play for Chicago. You love our city. You love our food, like you said at the beginning of the show. Great food in the city. Great food. Great place to be. I'd be a lot thinner if I didn't live here. Exactly. Our football team's good. Our baseball teams are good. Our hockey team's good. Our basketball team stinks. But then we get back to everything else. No one is going to want to play here if this is the way a team plays. And don't get me wrong. Seeing Dwayne Wade and Derrick Rose in the backcourt, that's a hellacious backcourt. That would be almost impossible to defend. You're going to try to stop Dwayne Wade who is just as quick, if not quicker, than Derrick Rose? Who is just as quick, if if not quicker, than Dwayne Wade? You know, it, it's what are you going to do? Take the lesser of two evils. Guard one of them, yeah. double team one of them, and let the other one beat you.
1: There's no question. It would be a fantastic backcourt. the The Bulls really only have enough money to sign one max contract. They have about twenty two million dollars available. The starting max contract is sixteen five. So they're not going to be able to get two superstar free agents, as some people have suggested, unless they do a sign-and-trade, which then they could acquire two big free agents. But in all likelihood, they're only going to have enough cap room to get one. What I wonder is if you are, you know, if if, if you're the Bulls right now, would it be better for them to miss the playoffs and get that lottery pick? Or is it better for them to make the playoffs and develop more of these guys. I think right now it's looking like the Bulls may not have a choice, and they may end up out of the playoff hunt no matter what. But, Justin, would you rather, as a Bulls fan, see them make the playoffs, or would you rather them try to get in the lottery and you know maybe uh, roll the dice and get somehow extraordinarily lucky again and end up with you know Evan Turner?
0: I'm going to say I'll take the latter. I don't want them to make the playoffs because making the playoffs in the Eastern Conference is... Just to get shattered by Cleveland. Exactly. It's it's miserable. The Eastern Conference, and it, it, hasn't, it hasn't always been this way, but lately the Eastern Conference is almost the seller. You don't want to be in the Eastern Conference unless you're Orlando or unless you're Cleveland or Boston. Because other than that, you're going to get killed in the playoffs. Now the Bulls put up a fight against Boston last year, but they put up a fight. They didn't win. There's, and there's, they,
1: they did, they put up a fight and lost without Kevin Garnett. Yes. Without Leon Poe. Not that Leon Poe makes that big difference, but without Kevin Garnett to, to not beat Boston is sort of like, well, you know, it, it would be like if the Cubs beat the Cardinals without Pujols and Chris Carpenter. Exactly. Or Adam Wainwright. Or Adam, Adam yeah. Wainwright. It's sort of like, well, you won, but you didn't beat them at their best. So, exactly.
0: And, and if I'm a Bulls team, I would much rather get lucky, get that, maybe one, two, or three in the lottery and go into the next season and basically start anew. Because right now, getting to the playoffs is not going to do anything in terms of wooing free agents. They know what Chicago is made of after seeing the team this year. They're not going to sit there and say, okay, if the team makes the playoffs, that makes them that much better. This is a young team. And frankly, when you look at the money they're going to have to spend, they also have to get a new coach. As, as, as much as we can divert the fault away from Vinny Del Negro, you can't say that he's going to be back next
1: year. He won't be. He won't be back. And, and it's not all his fault this year no. because
0: they're injury-ridden, but Vinny will not be back.
1: No, then. but he's not a coach that's going to entice a free agent. No. And and if you look at this Bulls team, David Haw wrote a column suggesting that Bosch might be the guy that they bring in. If that's the case, that'd be great. I think that would be mm-hmm. a great addition. I'd be happy to have Chris Bosch. Great player on the interior, can shoot, can do it all in terms of filling a forward role, can be a back-to-the-basket guy if they need him to be. He's really, you know, uh, Chris Bosh would be, I'd I'd be happy with him, but, you know, to to, to lose that that game last night, the one thing that I worry about, of course, is that, you know, everybody's trying to get in the race for this for this uh, big free agent class, and the Bulls better get one of these guys because they're playing like they're just trying to tank themselves out to get a lottery pick and assume they're going to get a free agent. If they don't get one, then this season was a colossal failure for the Bulls and for a lot of other teams that are tanking it to get one of these free agents. 888-463-6748. Real quickly, too, we got to talk about this. we got to talk about this cubby occurrence that occurred yesterday <laughs> at spring training. We only got a few minutes left in the show, but I'm sorry. I I have to throw something out about this. Derek Lee did not play yesterday in the Cubs spring training game because he was sitting in a chair that collapsed and hurt his back. Let's take a second for that to sink in. Derek Lee was sitting in a chair, and it collapsed, and it hurt his back. According to Lou Pinella, he is going to play today in spring training, and he should be fine. But why do I just continue to wonder? You know, I don't believe in curses. I'm not one of these Cub fans <laughs> that thinks that the Billy Goat is why they haven't won in 101 years. But when you hear stories like this, you start to question whether the Cubs may really actually be cursed.
0: Let's just go through a few of these. Sammy Sosa's sneeze puts him on the disabled list. Yep. Dempster breaks his toe jumping out of the dugout. Yep. Um, we can go all the way back. Carlos Zambrano suffers an elbow injury from spending too much time on the computer. Yeah. I wonder uh, whether Farnsworth, he was really chatting yeah, on exactly. AOL. Farnsworth wrecks his knee kicking an electric fan. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> wood slips in the hot tub, hurts yeah. his back. Yep. And how about this? In the Chicago Tribune today, Coach K even said a little something about the Cubs. He goes, for a while I dated my wife. I had trouble living up to the expectations of her former boyfriend. Just judge people for who they are right now. We're not the Yankees. We're not, thank goodness, the Cubs. It's different. It's college. Just give them an opportunity in response to living up to the expectations. Oh, the Cubs—they've become
1: the butt of a joke. They've always been a butt of a joke, but I mean, this is sort of just. <laughs> how Steve do you, Trout falls off an exercise bike. That's another good one. I mean, how do you like? <laughs> how do you? How do you justify any of this stuff? How do you rationalize any of this? Really. I I don't even know what to say. It's like the gods are out there saying you will never win because we are going to make sure that some catastrophic event occurs with the Cubs. It's, it's so bizarre. You don't hear about this happening with any – I guess maybe there are some other weird injuries. I remember Kevin Brown fell and broke his wrist while allegedly playing with his kids. Jeff Kent fell while, quote, washing his mm-hmm. motorcycle – Brian Robinson once slipped over his dog and got himself injured. Listen, I, I, wasn't it um, Clint Barmas fell while carrying groceries up Grocers, the stairs in yes. his house? Uh, listen, I understand that weird things happen, injuries happen. Any athlete is just like anybody else, today, I suppose, in Garrett. But when you hear these stories, Derek Lee's chair shattering underneath <laughs> him, I don't even know what to say. I just hope that this season that all the chairs in the Cubs clubhouse are very sturdy and that somebody sits in them and does a test and that that just can we have one year where nobody gets hurt? I would just like one year where, I, as a Cubs fan, if they don't win, if they don't do anything, it's just based on the fact that they weren't that good, that it's not because of some crippling injury. And say what you want about the 2009 Cubs. They were a disaster in many ways. But Aramis Ramirez going down, for all intents and purposes, killed the Cubs last season.
0: They were injury-ridden last right.
1: season. So, yeah. so I mean, to win 83 games last year without Aramis Ramirez in 67 of them, or whatever it was, mm-hmm. was sort of like, well, as bad as things went, as much of a jerk as Milton Bradley was, as as bad as everything, as as you bad as Sardin was... As, yeah, run our test. <laughs> uh <laughs> He's a clown. We I mean, we we Brad, could spend
0: we could spend an hour on Milton Bradley, yeah. who is now apparently the new Kanye West of baseball.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it just for one year. Can we just have one year where the Cubs players are healthy and they just suck on their own merit? Can can we have that? I, I or win on their own merit, but that's obviously far less likely than anything else. Justin, it was fun doing the show as he it has been fun. Very good show. It was fun, and uh, I will be back on Monday if he makes it through the weekend after the Syracuse loss. <sighs> God cannot believe it. Hopefully more upsets occur. Go upsets. Omar Samhan. Go Omar Samhan. Go everyone that is not a one or a two. I hope when I talk to you on Monday that we will have a bunch of teams that have never been to the final four descending upon Indianapolis. This is two guys in the mic. Justin and Jordan filling in for the coach and the big dog. Have a great weekend. I will talk to you on Monday.